we noticed uh, that one of them was to go. Abraham, you're supposed to go. Uh, you're supposed to walk blamelessly. But what was the big one that we noticed in, um, that was the most significant stipulation in the Abrahamic covenant found in chapter 17? Circumcision. Right? So you got the parties, God plus Abraham and his offspring. You've got the stipulations. Uh, primarily circumcision is kind of how it boils down. That's the biggest one. Um, and what's the next uh, basic element in a covenant? Promises, right? So you've got promises together with sanctions, right? They're listed uh, that way. So you've got promises. What are the promises that we pointed out in the Abrahamic covenant? Blessing, right? Yeah, so seed and land, right? And we see this idea of blessing is developed a little bit. Uh, the idea of seed is developed a little bit, and more specifics are put onto land, etc. cetera. Um, but that's, uh, that's the essence of it, right, uh, of the promises. What about the sanctions? Other side. Do you remember uh, sanctions connected with the Abrahamic covenant? We asked the question, is the Abrahamic covenant conditional or unconditional? And we kind of fumbled around for a while to try and figure out how to answer that question because we said that though it's unconditional in regard to the people, that God will accomplish this period, we, have, uh, we see in the text that those who are not circumcised don't get to participate in those blessings. They don't receive them. They are cut off. And so the sanctions are that they will be cut off if they don't undergo circumcision. Right? If you don't uh, circumcise uh, your children, your sons, then they will be cut off from their people. Right? And so you do have these promises and sanctions. That's why we kind of, in one way, we said, yeah, the Abrahamic covenant is um, unconditional. And yet, if you don't meet the condition of circumcising your children, suddenly there's a condition. So we said that individually, uh, there are conditions that you can, you can be cut off individually, though God will accomplish his purpose uh, in the people overall in an unconditional fashion. He's just going to do it, period. There's one uh, final. We said, uh, we said we've identified the parties. We've identified the stipulations and the promises and sanctions. What's the last element of a biblical covenant? A sign, right? You've got the oath sign. And in this covenant, what is that? Okay. So those are the basic elements of the Abrahamic covenant. Okay. Uh, but tonight, we've moved beyond the Abrahamic covenant, and we are going to Mosaic covenant uh, and see what we can learn about... Genesis 15 and verses 13 and 14. We talked about this uh, last week, but you see there um, the Lord speaking to Abraham, and uh, this is in one of the key chapters of the giving of the Abrahamic covenant. Remember, it was, it was initiated in chapter 12. It was instituted in chapter 15. And here we are in chapter 15, and in that process, the Lord says to Abraham, verse 13, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there. 
and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out possessions. So God speaking to Abraham uh, years in advance says there's going to come a, well, hundreds, generations in themselves in a foreign land where they're in captivity, they're in service, etc. They'll be there for 400 years, and I will bring them. Well, so with that, Thank you. I'm not going to repeat everything I said. We'll just keep on going. And really, this is, this is review. This is getting us up to speed. So we've looked at uh, Genesis 15 and the, and the words of God to Abraham there about a future generation that's going to find themselves in captivity. They will be in captivity in that foreign land for about 400 years before God brings them out. So we, we know about that. Uh, we're familiar with, um, with what goes on there. Uh, turn to Exodus chapter 2. Right? So even in the giving of this covenant, you have about events that are going to happen in the future. Of course, you close out the book of Genesis, and I know we're preaching through it, um, but spoilers, the people all go down into the land of Egypt, and then um, you turn the page in Exodus chapter 1, and you find that they're slaves there, okay? And they've been there a long time, and they're being held in captivity, in slavery there in Egypt. And so, looking at verse... Uh, 23 of chapter 2 of Exodus. So this is clearly the very beginning. Uh, we read these words. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. All right, so here the people are, as God said would happen, the people are in captivity. They've been there for low these hundreds of years, as God said would happen. And so um, they cry out. They're groaning because of their slavery. They're crying out to God for help. And the sound of that, of course, comes up to God is the way that's pictured. And God hears their groanings, and he remembers the covenant that he made with Abraham. So we're reflecting, even, even in Exodus and the events that are going on um, with the people of Israel, the author is driving us back to reflect on what happened in the covenant that God made with Abraham. So at the very beginning of the Exodus, even, we're seeing a link with the Abrahamic covenant. Why is it that God is bringing these people, Israel, out of Egypt? Well, it's because of the covenant he made with Abraham. It's because of a previous conversation, that previous arrangement there. Right? And so uh, God acts to free the, uh, the people from their slavery so that they can go. He made these promises to if they're in, in chains. So <clears throat> the people are in the land, and God remembers the covenant when they cry out to him. And so that's the context even uh, where we will re begin to receive the Mosaic covenant, all right? the giving of the Mosaic covenant. So um, that's the, the, the covenant circumstance. The covenant in which, excuse me, the circumstance in which the Mosaic covenant is going to be given is here in chapter 2. We see the same thing in chapter 6. Uh, there's the, the idea of God remembering and reflecting upon the covenant that he made with Abraham, and therefore he needs to take action with the people of Israel being locked up in Egypt. And so he's going to set them free. So it's in light of the Abrahamic covenant that we receive the Mosaic covenant. Okay? Turn to Exodus chapter 19. Of course, 
Exodus is about the people coming out of the land, and indeed we find that um, God has sent Moses and, uh, and said to, you know, tell Pharaoh, let my people go, and then, uh, you know, how all that happens with the plagues and everything that, that goes on there. I'm going to move forward. Maybe it's a proximity issue. I doubt it, but... Um, and so there is um, a, a duel, as it were, between God and Pharaoh. That's what the plagues are, that God is demonstrating in each of these different plagues that he is sovereign over the so-called gods in the Egyptian pantheon with the gnats and the frogs and the, the Nile and all of that. God is demonstrating, yeah, you have this God of the gnats, I'm superior to him. You have this God of the frogs, I'm superior to him. And all the way up to Pharaoh, I'm superior to him, right? So you have this point, and, uh, and we've preached through Exodus, and, and that's the theme that you pick up, up on when you're going there. Well, here we are in chapter 19. The people have been brought through the Red Sea. They've been brought out of Egypt through the Red Sea, and they are in the wilderness. They are at Sinai, and uh, we read... Uh, we're going to be focusing on chapter 19, verses 3 through 8. Thank you guys for doing that work. 3 through uh, 8, right? And so first of all, we see the context in which this covenant is going to be given. Uh, so um, Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. So Moses goes up the mountain, goes up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel. Here's the message. Here's the context. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Right? God has brought them out of Egypt as He promised He would do all the way back in Genesis 15 to Abraham. He's done that. That's the context. He's just reminding them, bringing them up to speed, establishing as a as a, as a preparation for what he's about to say. And then we see these words in verses 5 through 6 of Exodus 19. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel." So that key word that we have there in verse 5 is that idea, the word if. Right? There's a conditionality connected with this. There is a condition. If the people will obey and keep covenant, then they will receive the benefits of that covenant. So we need to understand at the very outset what is being said, what is being presented to the people, all right? He's about to give, uh, in the very next chapter, he's going to give the Ten Commandments, the essence of the covenant. And in the a couple of chapters following that, he's going to give other commands that explain those Ten Commandments. And he says in verse 5, I'm about to give this to you, and if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation, right? And so there's an there's a obedience that's expected, that's required. There's, as a condition for 
their participation in this covenant itself, right? And so we see that in verses 5 and 6, and then we move down to verse 7. How are the people going to respond? So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. So that's the giving. That's the initiation. The call, as it were, of the covenant itself is I'm going to give you these commands. I'm going to give you this set of laws. I'm going to explain to you my will, my covenant, my voice. And if you will keep that, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, if you will obey these commandments, then you will have these benefits of this covenant. There's conditionality connected with it. Okay? That's the, that's the essence of the covenant right there. And of course, uh, we continue on in, uh, in Exodus and we go through and we see the events of what happens there with, with the, the, the fire and the smoke and everything that's going on on Mount Sinai uh, there with the people watching. And, uh, and then verse or chapter 20, you have the giving of the Ten Commandments. And then for the next couple of chapters, you have the spelling out of some practical outworkings of those commandments in different contexts. This is called the Book of the Covenant. Uh, verse, uh, chapter, chapter 20, basically through 23, is the Book of the Covenant. And there it's all spelled out. What I want us to do is turn to uh, 24, Exodus chapter 24, so that we can see the covenant being confirmed. We, we saw that it was given. We saw that, that God had called Moses up and said, here's what's going to happen. I've brought the people out as I said I would do. And now if they will keep my covenant, if they will keep my words, if they will obey my law, then they will receive the benefits of that covenant. Those benefits will be theirs. And the people respond by saying, we will do that. Okay, so there's agreement uh, between the two parties of what is going to happen. That's the giving of the covenant. And then you've got the spelling out of what those commands are, right? The Ten Commandments and, and all that we have through uh, chapter 21, 22, and 23. And then we see the confirmation of the covenant. They've already agreed to it, but it's not been, they haven't signed the deal yet. There's been a verbal agreement, but they've not signed the contract, Right? Let's go to chapter 24. We're going to read in verses 3 through 8 once again. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So once again, you've got verbal agreement by the people. Now they know what they're getting into. Now they know what the expectations are. And the words are the same. We're going to do that. We're all in. The people say, uh, we will do all of those words that you just told us to do. The people reaffirm their commitment to obey the commands. Verse 4. We see the, the verbal commands goes a step farther. Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and 
sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. So the first thing to notice is what we see there in verse 4. Moses wrote down all the words. The agreement, which has been verbal to this point, is now going to be written down. It's going to be reduced to writing like a contract. It's written down, and, and, and scholars have looked all over the ancient Near East and seen that this is the way that it was often done with uh, treaties and covenants in the ancient world, this process going through just like this. You've got these two parties. You've got the writing down of, uh, of the, the words of the covenant itself. You've got the preamble given. Why is it that God has the right to uh, initiate this covenant with Israel? Why is it? Well, one, He's the Lord your God. And secondly, He just set them free from Egypt. Right? He's already kept covenant. He's, he's establishing His authority to do so. It's uh, uh, similar uh, though, of course, the scale is utterly different. But anytime I perform a wedding, why am I able to do so? Well, it's because of, you know, the powers vested in me or whatever by, by the state of Nevada and God, right? Why do I get to determine? Why do I get to say that you two get to be married, right? Well, th there's some authority. And, and so my authority is a part of the deal. And my authority, of course, is derived and, and all that kind of stuff. But but that's what's happening here is the authority is being announced. Why is it God can do this? Because He's God, their Creator, and He set them free from Egypt. Right? He has taken them out. He's made covenant with Abraham. He set them free. He has the authority to do it. Now it's being written down in covenant form uh, in, in, as a document. Right? So that's the first part that we want to see there in verse 4 is that a contract is drawn up. And what happens when a contract is drawn up? All of you who have bought a house by taking out a mortgage, no, you sign your name 1,200 times, right? It just, you, it's, not, it's, not, it's not enacted until you've gone and done that, okay? Well, so the contract is drawn up. But secondly, we see that blood sacrifices are offered. So Moses rose early in the morning, built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars to represent the 12 tribes because the 12 tribes can't all gather around and participate in this thing. So they've got proxies, these piles of rocks, these pillars that are built up there to stand in their place. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins, gathered it, and the other half he, he, he threw against the altar. Right? And so what's happening there is Basically, in, in our, the way we would look at it, he's, he's uncapped the pen to sign the documents. And the notary is there with, you know, the, the, the stamp and all that. Everything is getting ready. It's, he's preparing for this uh, covenant to uh, actually be enacted, right? So that now it's, it's not just a verbal agreement, but it's going to be an actual covenant. And so he prepares the altar. He's got the, the 12 pillars that are there, right? And then he's got this altar there, having sacrificed these animals. He takes half of the blood and saves it. More on that in a moment. And the other half gets cast against the altar, right? So the altar is being set apart for uh, this ritual that is about to happen. It's being purified. It's being dedicated for that purpose because before he built it, it was just rocks that he found somewhere. 
But now he built it, builds it up into an altar, and now it's being set apart for this purpose. And so he splashes the blood against it. It is being dedicated for that purpose. It is being prepared. Verse 7, Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. Right? And so the covenant that's now been drawn up is read to the people so that they know what's going on. We're, we, rec we recognize this process, right? We would do it a little bit different in a little bit different fashion, but, but we recognize what is being accomplished here, right? And so uh, the people, having made their initial agreement and then having heard the words of the covenant, now have the covenant itself read to them and, uh, and they respond by saying, we will do all of that. That's exactly what we're going to do. Okay? And then, verse 8. Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So, the people have made, they've heard the document read. They've given their agreement. Yes, we will do that. We agree to that covenant. That's the document we're signing verbally. But then it is, uh, it is applied to them when the blood is applied to them. So the blood is cast on the people, right? So that um, they are sealed into this deal. Now, we remember when we talked last week about the Abrahamic covenant and that very vivid imagery of, of the animals being brought and being severed and there being a pathway formed between these animals. One half of the animal is over here. The other half is over here. And then you've got, so you've got, you've got this line of carcasses, these two lines of carcasses. And, and the, the deal is that normally the people establishing the covenant, agreeing to the covenant, would walk together between that, and, and, and we said that when you did that, you would be walking through a, 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 a gory mess of blood, and it would get on you. And it would be a reminder of what you agreed to do. And, and in, in walking through that together, you're, you're saying, I see these dead animals. Do you see these dead animals? I see the dead animals. I see the blood. If I don't keep my end of the deal, may that happen to me. May I be like one of those animals? Of course, we remembered what happened with Abraham. Abraham never even got to walk through there because the Lord put him to sleep and the Lord Himself passed through it, making that covenant. The Lord Himself saying, I will keep this covenant. If I don't keep this covenant, may I be like this heifer. May I be like these animals. God was obligating Himself in that covenant, but in this covenant, when we talk about the Mosaic covenant, it's not an identical uh, picture, is it? Because it's not just two people. It's God and probably millions of people, right? And so you've got the, the 12 uh, pillars there who represent the 12 tribes. You've got God Himself, and this is the, the way that the agreement is going in this one. You've got the the, the offering of the animals, 
So you've got animals being put to death. You've got the blood being gathered, part of the blood used to sanctify and, and, and purify and, and dedicate the altar, and the rest of the blood being scattered on the people. So that the same, same kind of imagery of someone walking through between those pieces and having some, you know, the, the blood's in, on, on, their, on their sandals, you know, and, and, and their robe. Well, this is blood scattered on them. It's the same thing. It's the same imagery. Right? And so you've got them entering into this agreement. But in this agreement, it's very different than the one made with Abraham, where Abraham was unconscious in the bleachers, watching all of this happen. Here, the people are participating. The blood is splattered on them, as if they had walked through that very pathway made of blood and carnage. So, uh, very similar imagery here, but with a different outcome. And uh, the people are basically saying in this covenant, they've already stated a couple of times, yes, we will do what you say. We will be obedient. And that's what we have happening here in 24 and verse 8. Uh, behold, um, excuse me, verse 7, all uh, that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. And then Moses took the blood, threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Right? That's the essence of the Mosaic Covenant. And of course, there are laws attached to it, and we've already seen several chapters of the law there with the, the Ten Commandments and then that being developed in different contexts and things. And we see for the rest of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, you've got a, the giving of a, a number of different uh, laws, large numbers of laws and different situations and, and, and things like that. But here is the core of the covenant. This is the document that's signed and that's sealed and, and put away, that's kept uh, as, as a memorial of what they are to do, what they have committed to do. Okay? That's the essence of it. So that's the Mosaic Covenant. Now, what I, what I would like to do in thinking about what we've uh, just talked about, I know we've gone through it quickly, but this is the Mosaic Covenant. And... If we were to spell out uh, for ourselves to, to reduce it in writing to these same elements, we're going to see uh, there are parties involved. Who are the parties involved in this covenant? God and Israel, right? Okay. Next, we've got stipulations. What are the stipulations that are spelled out in this Mosaic Covenant? Obedience. Obedience. Obey, keep covenant, right? Obey. All right? And what are the promises that are given? And um, you kind of have to... Promises are kind of scattered about, but even if we just go to uh, 19, 5 and 6 of Exodus. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all, all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Right? A couple of aspects of this 
that we see already being developed. Uh, one is a unique relationship. Sorry, ran out of room. I used to just turn and write down the side. So you've got a unique relationship. Um, that's a part of it. Um, they're going to be a kingdom of priests. One more major promise. Holy nation, I'll, I'll connect with this. I think these are I think these are tied together. Um, let's see, twenty three of Exodus. So go to Exodus twenty three. And you have in verses 20 through 23 there, you've got the promise of, excuse me, 20 through 33, you've got the promise of the conquest of Canaan. You've got the same land promise, but it's more specified. And so you see, for example, there in, in 33, uh, uh, verse 33, they shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. You've got the idea there. You also see it in uh, Exodus chapter 6 and verse 4. Uh, the land that's going to be theirs. You've got Deuteronomy 28 um, and verse 8. Let's go to Deuteronomy 28. These, these promises are kind of scattered. Um, they're hinted at in some places, and they are spelled out uh, more specifically in other places, more explicitly. So Deuteronomy 28, verse 8, The Lord will command the blessing on you, in your barns and in all that you undertake, and He will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Right? So you see uh, several places mentioned there the promise of the land. Okay? Those are the promises. What about the sanctions? Boy, uh, someone want to turn to Deuteronomy 27, 26. The sanctions are extensive, okay? So if we start at, um, at uh, 27, 26, cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them, and all the people shall say, Amen. And then in verse 28, you've got promises of blessing for obedience. And then you've got continued on, verses 15 through 68, all of these extensive curses, right? So you've got curses for, for disobedience that are all over the place. So there are, are there sanctions? Boy, howdy, there are sanctions. And they are bad curses and the blessings are things like um, your crops will prosper and then on the other side if you disobey your crops will turn to dust and on the obedience side if you obey the blessings will be things like your uh, you, you will you will give birth to healthy children it uses other language and on the other side it says you won't ever have any children right and over here on the obedience side it'll say things like uh, all manner of promises um, 
regarding family, regarding prosperity, regarding wealth, regarding your enemies running from you, right? A thousand of your enemies will run, against, uh, run away when ten of you show up, the blessings of God, versus the cursings. For those who are disobedient, you'll flee before your enemies. You're going to be running all the time because they're chasing you. You see, all this spelled out. I'm, I'm summarizing because it's verses 16 through 68, 15 through 68 of that chapter. It's an extensive chapter. There are sanctions, right? Up to and including being driven out of the land, right? Being driven out of the land. It's a, if, if you want to see God's patience, if you want to see how patient God is, read Deuteronomy 28. And then think about the historical development and the passage of time in the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. And how they would disobey terribly. And God would discipline them. And they would repent a little. Sometimes they'd repent a lot. And then they would be terribly disobedient. Time would pass, like a hundred years. And God would discipline them. And they would repent to a certain degree. And God would be patient for another hundred years while they've been walking in terrible disobedience. This isn't overnight. This isn't God trying to catch the nation of Israel being disobedient. He's extremely patient for hundreds of years before He finally gets to the bottom end of chapter 28 of Deuteronomy where He finally drives them out of the land because of their extensive and persistent and horrific and godless disobedience interspersed with the occasional repentance. And so God would relent when they would repent. But He is so patient with them over the course of time. The amazing thing isn't that, that God drove the nation of, of Israel out of the land and, and into captivity and things like that. The, the amazing thing is that it took hundreds of years now, you know the story of Exodus. While Moses is still on the mountain receiving the law from God, what are the people doing? They've built the golden calf and they're worshiping, and worship is a, is a euphemism, okay, for what's going on. This was awful. At the very moment of inception, the ink's hardly dry. The blood's still splattered on them. And they're already moving into disobedience, and they're no different than us. But this is a demonstration of God's Great patience. All right, so are there sanctions? Man, curses, uh, yes, spelled out. Um, out of, is there an oath sign? What's that? Uh, yeah, kind of, it's the marker, it's the ink. Um, the, the oath sign, the, the sign is really the Sabbath. The Sabbath itself is the sign. Now, the, the sign of circumcision is carried over, but it is not the sign of the Mosaic Covenant. It's the Sabbath, okay? That's why when Jesus, in the New Testament, encounters uh, problems with the religious leaders, what is it almost always concerning? The Sabbath. You healed on the Sabbath? You heathen? You exercised the power of God to make that man walk on the Sabbath? Right? It was always about the Sabbath. And you can see that in Exodus 31, verses 13 through 17. You can, you can see that 
the Sabbath is that oath sign. Now, we've got just a few minutes left. I want to I draw some uh, comparisons here. Um, the parties. How do the parties between these two covenants line up? Basically identical, right? God and Abraham and his offspring. And we know from reading Romans chapter 9 that it's not all of Abraham's offspring because there are some that are selected and some that are not, etc. But over here, God and Israel is uh, the nature of... Uh, th those are the parties that are involved there, right? Um, the stipulations are similar. Uh, there's obedience involved. They're, they're, they're not identical, but there's obedience involved. You've you got to obey this, right? And here it's specifically circumcision is that key. But what I really want us to see are the similarities in the blessings, the promises, right? There's land in both of them, right? You've got the idea of the seed shows itself over here in the language that's used as the kingdom of priests, holy nation, Andy said, right? That's the seed, right? And it's, there's going to be royalty involved. We talked about kings. We talked about all that stuff. But th those are connected. There's a, this, is, this is a people, right? And then you've got this blessing that's going to go to all the earth, and that blessing is particularly this unique relationship with God, to have God as your God, right? So, so you see some development, but, but there, is, there is great unity between the promises of the two covenants. And, and that shouldn't surprise us because how did the Mosaic covenant come about? The Mosaic covenant came about because the people who had received the Abrahamic covenant were in chains and not able to go and, and enjoy these, these benefits and these blessings. So God stepped in and rescued them and established the Mosaic covenant with them, which developed and continued those promises for the people, right? The Mosaic Covenant is given, as was hinted back here in the Abrahamic Covenant, when God, speaking to Abraham, said, by the way, your descendants will be locked up in chains as slaves in a foreign country for 400 years, but I'll set them free. Well, that time comes, and in doing so, in God setting them free, He establishes with them the Mosaic Covenant. Okay? We talked last week about the Abrahamic covenant establishing who would be the people. We talked about, uh, I call it the, the kingdom of Israel. We talked about there would be a king, that there would be a land, etc. We talked about this being a kingdom, and these are the people of the kingdom. The Abrahamic covenant establishes who are the people of the kingdom. What does the Mosaic covenant establish? What will be the laws of the kingdom? What, what kind of a kingdom would it be? What, what kind of anarchy? You can't, you can't have an, an anarchy in a kingdom. Kingdoms have to have laws, right? They're, 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 they're a, a certain people. They're in a certain land. Uh, they have kings. And this, the Mosaic Covenant, establishes the laws that will govern 
that nation, that will govern those people. Okay? And uh, this, this uh, Mosaic Covenant is equated with the law. If you'll go to Exodus 34... You can reduce the Mosaic Covenant. It is a reduction, but you can reduce it to the law itself. Here we have in Exodus uh, chapter 34, verses 27 and 28. Uh, the Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. What are the words of the covenant? The Ten Commandments. So the essence of this covenant, there's a lot more to it. But the boiling down, the, the shorthand reference to this covenant is the law. It's the law. The Mosaic Covenant is the law. That's why we often call, refer to it as the Mosaic Law, right? It is essentially a law covenant. Now, we talked a couple weeks ago when we, when we discussed um, uh, pedo-baptism, those who will baptize babies and how they, how they got there from covenant theology. Now, there are other kinds of pedo-baptists. You've got Lutherans who are pedo-baptists, and you've got Methodists who are Pedobaptists and Catholics, and they arrive at their infant baptism a different way. But the, the covenant theology uh, way that people arrive at baptizing their infants, infants has to do with seeing these as being administrations of the covenant of grace. And the question that, that I keep asking is, if there are curses, if you can be cut off for not having kept that covenant, is it indeed a covenant of grace? There's grace in that God didn't have to do any of it. It's a good thing when God tells us what the law is. That is gracious that He does so. But it is not gracious when we can be the ones who break it. That is uh, not a covenant of grace. And so I think when we look at the Mosaic Covenant, when we look at even the Abrahamic covenant, we, we see that there's something else going on. It's not simply an administration of the covenant of grace. But what we do see is that this Abrahamic covenant establishes the people of the kingdom and the Mosaic covenant gives the laws of the land, the laws of the kingdom of Israel. Those laws uh, govern numerous aspects of kingdom life. Think through what the laws are. I know you you know, probably don't do your devotions all the time in Leviticus or, or whatnot, but think through what all is involved there, right? The, the, the laws govern the people. The laws govern the priesthood. Think about all the sacrifices. The, the, the entirety of the sacrificial system and the priests themselves and what tribe they come from and how they've got to be set apart, and all of those things are governed by the law. The cleanliness laws, no eating shellfish, no eating pork and other things, cleanliness laws. The prophets, the law governs uh, the prophets. You've read uh, the portions of the Old Testament that talk about a prophet who prophesies falsely. What do you do with him? The law says you kill him, right? Prophets and kings, the kings are governed by the law. 
curses, blessings, all those things are governed by the law itself. And so the Abrahamic covenant established the people of the nation of Israel. The Mosaic covenant gives that nation its laws. And of course, we've got one covenant left that we're going to look at that's a part of this same piece, and that is the Davidic covenant. What do you think the Davidic covenant will give to the people? The king, right? So you have this organizing, this putting together of a particular nation, of the nation of Israel. And, uh, and there's more to be said on that, and we will develop it more as we go. But just in thinking about the Mosaic Covenant, some things that stand out are how similar it is when you reduce it to its basic elements, how similar it is to the Abrahamic Covenant, how it's actually a development upon the Abrahamic Covenant. And we're going to see that just as God determined He would accomplish the promises that He made to the nation in its entirety, or to, in, its, in its essence as a nation, corporately He would fulfill this covenant, but someone could be kicked out of it. You have a similar uh, kind of thing in the Mosaic Covenant. God is going to accomplish certain things in the Mosaic Covenant, and yet there are going to be other things that will... Um, uh, that, they will, that, that, that they would lose for disobedience. And so um, I think that helps us to understand a little bit about where the Mosaic Covenant is going to fit. And again, we are developing, just in these last couple of minutes, what we are developing here is really the entirety of what we call the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant refers to uh, Abrahamic, Mosaic, and then Davidic all together is going to be uh, what's referred to in the New Testament as the Old Covenant. Okay. And then finally, in our last week um, uh, before Christmas, I uh, can't remember the date, 17th, we're going to look at the um, New Covenant. And it's going to be contrasted, and we'll see a great contrast with all of this here. Okay. So I know this has been uh, involved. There's been a lot to this. Um, but when you start seeing how these covenants relate to the nation of Israel, they begin to uh, uh, take shape in our minds of what exactly is going on in the giving of these different covenants. It puts shape to them and makes them less amorphous and, and fuzzy. And, and we start to see that in the Abrahamic covenant, we have the establishment of who will be the people of the nation of Israel, the kingdom of Israel. And then in the Mosaic Covenant, we see what will be the law of the land for the kingdom of Israel. And then in the Davidic Covenant, who will be the king for the kingdom of Israel? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you that uh, um, we have your word in front of us that uh, uh, spells these things out, that helps us to understand not just history. Of course, there's history. Of course, uh, this is, uh, these are events that really happened and and a nation that became two kingdoms and, and, uh, and then there was exile involved and obedience and wars and all of those things that, that are, uh, we can understand by looking at this Mosaic Covenant, yet we see a broader picture of what you are doing, that this old covenant brings forth the, the Messiah, the seed, and, and that one, the Messiah, the seed, brings forth and establishes the new covenant. And we rejoice that we get to be those who are in the new covenant by faith in Christ that we see that He has 
uh, obeyed in our place and we have life in Him. We have forgiveness of our sins. He has accomplished that covenant of, of, of works and given us the credit for it. In the process, He's given us new hearts, placed uh, His Spirit within us, giving us a desire to obey, to obey you. And this is all wrapped up in that new covenant that Jesus, our Messiah, gives to us. And so, uh, even as we look at these uh, older aspects, I pray, Father, that you would help us to think about Jesus and, and about what these things mean when we see the threat of curses and we know that we ourselves would inherit those curses if it were left up to us. Because though we might say we want to obey, and we do indeed want to obey, so often we don't. And we deserve the cursing. And we see that played out in the nation of Israel. And we would see that played out in our own lives were it not for Jesus our Savior, who Himself has taken the curse and has given us the blessing. And so we praise You for Jesus, and we praise You in Jesus' name. Amen.